food, spiritual food. Last time, uh, as we're going through this series on what is the rest of grace and how to live your dreams, the dreams God gives you, um, we ended up talking about a thing called an anointing. Now, all this comes from Isaiah 61, the first seven verses. Uh, you're welcome to go back and reread those, uh, but I will jump into them as we are going. So I want to I take off right from last time where we talked about an anointing. Now, the word anointing is a biblical word. Uh, it's not just for certain types of churches. They talk about an anointing, and, and some churches run away from this concept because they think it's, it's been so abused and misused, they just shut it out completely. But it's not such a difficult topic. It's, it's a topic we can easily understand if we just take a look at it. So, let's take a look at this. Old Testament examples. We have the high priests. They were anointed. Um, when Aaron became a priest of Israel, Moses' brother, uh, he was anointed as the priest. So they did a serious anointing in Leviticus 8.12. When David was set aside as king, same thing happened. The prophet came to him and poured oil on him. Now, you remember that story. He went to the family of, of uh, David's father and said, hey, there's supposed to be a king in this house. Bring your boys out. And they brought all the boys out except David. David was a shepherd boy in the field. Uh, they did not see the potential of leadership in him. Do you know what happens to somebody when nobody else sees potential in them and the message is sent to them, they're undervalued and not important? Do you think it affects people? We've learned that. It totally does. So imagine what David could have been thinking. Here he comes. All of his other brothers have been just rejected by the prophet. And the prophet looks at him and goes, you're it. And he goes, what? <laughs> Nobody put me in the meeting. And sure enough, he said, you will be king of Israel. And who saw it? His own family. The tide was suddenly switched. It turned from being the reject, not even considered one of the ones who was a brother, because he left him out in the field and didn't bother with him. But now those who rejected him saw God's anointing on him. And it could not be mistaken. Parents, we've got to tell our kids. We've got to teach them who they are. Speak to their identity. Separate the behavior from their identity. So when they do mess up, it's the mess up that they get in trouble for, you know. But they are still good. They are still righteous. They are still pure and holy and good. These are really, really important concepts, especially for parents of young kids. Don't ever yell at your kid, you are bad, because they will become bad. Because you're telling them who they are. You're giving them a new name. We learned about that a couple messages back about getting a, uh, recognizing the name we have. We are redeemed. We are clean. Numerous times in Scripture when people were anointed, it was oil that was the expression of God's Spirit resting on them. So the oil put onto them was a way of saying, here, this is the Holy Spirit is now. The Spirit of God is upon you. When God anoints people, he gives them the abilities they need to accomplish the work he has for them. He imparts a capability that equips them to do more than they could ever have done on their own. He chooses them and then infuses them with his potential. Something they can't muster up. Old covenant. Old covenant, meaning before Christ. All right? So these things happened. The anointing came for special powers for special times. There's a beautiful picture of how God anoints those he chooses in Psalm 133. It says this, 
It describes Aaron when he was anointing it, uh, being anointed and comparing the goodness of unity among God's people with the time Aaron was anointed. The psalmist wrote this. Do I have it up there? Nope. He writes this. Behold, how good and how pleasant is it for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like a precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down the edge of his robes. Ooh, there's a graphic image of an anointing. Now, typically in most Western churches, when we anoint people with oil, we get a little tiny vial of oil, pop the lid up, get a little tiny dab, and we do a right in the center of the forehead, boom. And if you're lucky, you can still see that there's something there. You know, that's what we call anointing. That is not a biblical anointing. Biblical anointing was a pouring on of oil. First of all, who's going to do that to their clothes? Poor Aaron. He, he, was, he was drenched. They poured down his dripping beard. and You can imagine it. Uh, I don't even know how they had soap back then to get all that out. I just... I, I, my mind runs in funny directions sometimes when, when this happens, but this was the kind of anointing that happened. I wonder if David got just as much. What was poured on him? But it was a pouring on. It was an anointing. It was done with abundance, which tells you something about your heavenly father. He's not going to be stingy and give you just a little doot. I'll just give you just enough power just to get that task done and then boop, hold back. no. He has empowered us to do all that he wants us to do. You are fully equipped. Would you like it for God to pour out his ability and infuse his divine power in you? Would you like that? Short answer, it's already happened. And you can only live out of, listen to this, what you believe. Because if you don't believe it's happened, you're going to live like it. But when you start to see and believe, understand and believe this has already happened, things can change in your life. Your perspective will change. Your motivations will change. Imagine how much God can do through us if we believed all of the power and indwelling spirit that's in us. Many of us don't even believe that. Isaiah's words provide some news that will help us and give us good news. The news is this. You already have the anointing. That's right. <laughs> you already possess all the divine capabilities that you need for living. How can we know this? Because of what Jesus said. And Luke, he does something powerful there. Oops, I'll st stick with Luke. This is an incident that has to do with anointing. One day Jesus went to Nazareth. He went into the temple on the Sabbath. And he opened up, they, they gave him a scroll to read from Isaiah. Now, something you may not know, if this little place had a scroll, it was wealthy. Some people seem to think Nazareth was a poor little place. Uh-uh. To have a written scroll was so expensive and well-guarded. And here Jesus himself got to read a scroll. And he starts to read. <laughs> he read it, gave it back to the attendant, and he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled. Somebody grab your Bible. Look up Isaiah 61. I want to hear it in another translation. No, not Isaiah. Luke 4. 
Luke 4, 16 to 22. Go quick. Some with a booming voice. Soft voice. Could be hard. Luke 4, 16 to 22, Ralph. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Keep going. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Here comes the best part. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was radical. And from that day forward, there was already the beginning of attempts on his life. The threat began when he declared, I am the Messiah. I am anointed. I am the anointing. The Old Testament anointings, those those temporary anointings, he became the fullness of the anointing of God personified in a human body, the Son of God. This was a big deal, and that's why we're going through that scripture that you just read. That's what this whole series is about, to declare good news. Recognize who you are. Recognize you are anointed. I have been anointed. Now, I know it doesn't sound like such an exciting topic. Ooh, and what did you learn about today? Anointing. Huh? You get it, all right? Because of where we're coming from and what we're seeing here. And we're going we're gonna to take this further. Because Jesus Christ lives in you, that is why you are fully anointed. That's what makes you special. What makes you unique. Your oneness with Christ. All those who believe this good news will experience the abundance of our union with Christ. The full powerhouse of God is in you. Remember, the scriptures say, you have been made, what? Complete. What are you lacking? Well, I need an extra anointing. I need to go run after that. I need to run after this. I need to go after that teacher because, oh, they got something special. If that guy prays for me, whoa, it's really going to work. Really? The stuff we've come to believe. Oh, I'm going to get so-and-so to pray because they're closer to God. They're no closer to God than you are. God is in you, in the person of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. You're one with him. He hears you just fine. (laughs) That's good news. Paul wrote that in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. What could you possibly lack today? My hunch is confidence. And the reason you lack confidence is because your current confidence is in wrong things, in worldly things, worldly systems of being successful. The world says, work hard, blood, sweat, and tears. That is how you make it. It's pure performance. 
self-dependence. That is not the way of Christ. Is there hard work to do? Yes, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. If Jesus Christ lives in you, everything you need to succeed in life resides in you. You need nothing else. You can start saying thank you instead of begging and begging and begging for something that's already yours. I spent a long time begging and begging for something that was long mine. And when the Holy Spirit revealed to me I already had it, I went, oh, are you kidding? Really? It was a humbling day. And I'm finding more and more of those humbling days. Just when I think, oh, that's a cool truth. I get this. Oh, I don't fully get it. There's more. Man, if I could bottle this up, I could make a... Okay, you know, it's how it works. You'd be filthy rich if you could get it all. Grace. Grace equals enablement. Miraculous, supernatural, God-given enablement that sets you apart from others whose dreams depend on their own ability. That's what's different in this world. Those who do not depend on God but depend depend on self-ability are prone and locked into having to live for the rest of their lives out of that source. And they're going to fight harder and harder and harder to keep up with the Joneses, to stay successful. The early church grasped this fact and accomplished miraculous results. Same as possible for you. John, 1 John 2.20 says this, but you have, this is present tense, okay, past tense, done, it's, it's not you're going to get, it says you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. It is true and it is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. You have all that you need. The word abide here means to continue to be present, not depart. Abide in him. Like the anointing of Aaron, you've been gi- you have not been given a small little dab. <laughs> you've been given a pouring over. Overwhelming. A river rushing over. A fountain overflowing. That is who is in you. To live your dream and unleash God's best in your life, you must realize that the plan for your life has already been written. You already have everything you need and it needs to be realized. You need to see it realized. Look at this. God has written your life. Pretty good, eh? God has given you everything in order for you to live it. What's left then? Discover your abilities. Now, Pause here for a second. Let's go back up. Last week, we covered the fact that God has already planned your life. Now, are we talking about every little nitty-bitty, you know, does he, do I put cheese on my cheeseburger or hold the onions? Like, that kind of detail or only the big stuff like, like a, a job or uh, avoiding a car crash or getting a car crash? How does that fit? What about the bad stuff? Is that a fair question? Yeah. Do you know what the answer is? I don't know. I'm sorry. And I'll tell you why. The question may not be the right question. The question presumes you have a right to know. What if you don't need to know because you're a control freak and need to know 
And really, you're not going to know because you're control freak flesh. Not a real person you, but your flesh patterns want to control. You want to know everything. Why is God doing this? Why is God? And some of us are so busy trying to figure God out, we have no time for him. So instead of trying to figure out that question, because I can't figure it out, I have, I have a lot of ideas, and I am so not done life. Many more years to go. And the more I'm mentored by those who are older than me and meet those that are much older than me, same struggles, same gentle insight. And do you know what they're saying? Here's what they're saying. Let go of trying to figure it out. Be dependent. Because the question, why do bad things happen then? And if God planned my future, if he planned, did he plan all the bad stuff, that question will challenge you on your perspective of who you think God is. So if you have a picture of a God who's ticked off angry and wants to make your life miserable, then that, that mindset's going to give a different answer. Here at Hope Fellowship, we have been learning a brand new, fresh image of who the Father is. And we learn it through the Son. That is how we figure out who God the Father is. Through the Son. Because Jesus is the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are the one. That was a huge declaration. A fair question. But we're moving on. So, what about your abilities? How do we discover our abilities? Christians often complicate the matter of discovering what it is that God plans for them to do. Hundreds of books have been written, multiplied by thousands of sermons on what's the will of God? How do we know the will of God? Is it the target? What if I hit blue instead of the, the red, yellow, or the, whichever one's the center? I forget which one's the center. Either way, what happens when you get the outside? What, what if you miss the target altogether? What, what do we do? How do we know the will of God? Folks, the will of God's a person, not a plan. The will of God is Jesus Christ for you and in you so that you learn to listen to his voice every day, all the time. He is the will of the Father for you. It's simplistic and simple, but it's true. How do we then discover our abilities? If we want to live out this walk of rest, remember the reason we're calling this the rest of grace is because initially we learn our identity in Christ, so we learn what it means to rest in Christ. But now, what about the rest of grace? How do we work from a place of rest? I got five minutes. Discover your abilities. Interest is a one way. There's two steps here in how to discover your abilities. The first are your interests. Can you possibly imagine that God would actually call you to do something you like? How often have people said, oh, I don't, I don't want to pray for God's will because I'm going to get stuck going to Africa or something or in the middle of a jungle and have to be a missionary. Or, and, and they do all these bizarre things they hate. It, these are the idea that God's going to set you up for the most miserable thing. That if I yield everything to God and totally surrender, he's going to make me do stuff I hate doing. Do you know how dumb that is? Parents, those who have children, how stupid is that idea? Dumb? Would you do that to your kids? Oh, they're going to they're gonna trust me now, so now I'm going to make them do stuff they hate. You don't do that. You, you love your kids. You want the best for them. Each one is uniquely gifted, and you're going to help them guide their course in life as best you can. Delight, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. This is a good one. Listen to what it says, though. 
Some people read it as, ooh, God's going to give me everything I want. Isn't that wonderful? It's not what it says. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. There's the key. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know why that's so true? Because when you're delighting in him, he plants the desires in you. He plants the likes and the, and the, and the, the reason you like beaches over mountains and, and the reason you, you like snow, which I don't get, over, over you know, beautiful south. You know, like it, there, people do like it up north. I don't get it, but it's fine. But who plants those desires? The uniqueness of Christ plants that in you. That's how intertwined your oneness with Christ is. Trust it. Your interests. <laughs> this verse teaches that God is the one who places the desires that are in your heart already. Your wants are determined by him. Can you handle that? He deposits your desires within you. And if God's the one who places those desires in you, then of course, when you delight in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart because he's the one who put them there in the first place. What you want is what he wants you to want. Do you get that? Some people have such a distorted concept of God that they just think, oh, he's going to, he doesn't want me to enjoy life. He's going to make it miserable. But when you realize and rest in your identity, you can trust the thoughts of God flowing through your mind. Number two, strengths. Strengths. And these two must align. This is a great, simple way to see what are your abilities. You may have abilities, but they have to align with your strengths. Are you good at them? There are people who have wants, but are no good at them. But there are other wants they're really good at. All right, these two need to go together. What are the strengths you possess? And sometimes you may need to look at a couple people in your life, people who love you and will be honest with you. Not everybody will be honest with you because they like you and they don't want to hurt your feelings. They may not be fully honest. But talk to somebody who knows you. Say, what, what do you see as my gifts? What am I good at? What are my strengths? They may be able to see it better than you because you might be looking in too much overlooking it. Find some people you trust, just a couple people, and ask, what area? Do a spiritual gifts discovery. Start to go through some of that. Those are just tools to help you. They can't answer it for you. They're just tools to help guide your mind in the right direction. This will help you move forward. Because you know who you are in Christ, success or failure in, particular, in a particular endeavor says nothing about your value. You're simply stretching your wings. Try things. Even if you're not sure, give it a try. If it fails, well, maybe it's not my thing. But don't take it personally. Say, hey, I am trusting Christ in me as I go. Trust God in the trying. That's why I like people trying out stuff. When we do our needs list of all the areas we, we have in the church, there's some people I'm, I was shocked that signed up for Sunday school. Couldn't see that coming. And they liked it, which I don't get. You know, it's not something I'd like to do, you know. But honestly, the willingness and the heart is more important. And they suddenly, they thrive and they enjoy teaching. Or cleaning or greeting or whatever. Like, there's tons of stuff that needs to get done. Helping at your local food bank. Serving people in your community. However it is, there's, there's a desire put in you and you're good at it. If you're a mechanic, let's say, and you like helping people who can't afford it, you help, and that's, that is a God-given gift of being successful using the gifts God has given you. 
being generous with who you are and what you have. It's not that difficult. Perfectionism. Don't allow insecurities about not being great at something keep you from trying. Perfectionism is this. It is the expression of the flesh, not you, not the real you. It is the expression of the flesh, getting our needs met apart from Christ, coping mechanisms, because it is pure, distilled performance. It is the idea that I must do extremely well, because if I don't, then I'll be a failure. And if I'm a failure in the slightest degree, then it speaks to who I am as a person. That's what a perfectionist's bottom line is. They may not articulate like that, but that's what it is. So people bragging on perfectionism and are proud of it should stop. You should repent of it and surrender it. It's, that's something you need help with. There's something wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing good things and trying to do them with excellence. <laughs> Along the way, you're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. He is your guide. We, we, we saw that in a couple of the verses earlier. The anointing of the Holy Spirit will teach you. He's the only one who can. Not me. I'm just a talker up here. The Holy Spirit's your teacher who confirms what is true or calls into question what may not be true. But we do it together as a team. We do it as a family. There's no way we do this Christ life as individuals only. We are part of of people, because the Trinity is three parts, and there's perfect relationship there, and we've been created in the image of God, designed for relationship. Everybody has. Let's watch this next video clip. Lights out.
The Holy Spirit is in you. He is the power. Together matters. Together first with our union with Christ, but even more as a body of believers. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please get it through our thick skulls. We're one with you. Allow us to believe we are anointed by you, not in some weird way, but fully and in the true way. Teach us how to live from that power that's in us. That we can accomplish anything you have put into our hearts to accomplish. Thank you, Father. Amen.